Hello, Libby. We, we are so done with this. We are so done with Harry Potter. How exciting. After I read this to you, I mean, of course, we've got one more little part to go. But, um, and you know, maybe eventually if you ever wanted me to read, I don't know, I guess if anyone, maybe somebody wants me to read the first couple books. I don't know. May, I'd be willing to do that. But before I do that, I'm for sure going to read you Game of Thrones and um, the other Song of Ice and Fire books if you are interested in them. So, yeah. I really enjoy doing this. I love these stories. So I love reading them again. And I love that we can read them together, except that really it's just me talking at you. And yeah, I don't know. I guess... I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. As uninteractive, as actually zero interaction is happening, it feels so interactive. <laughs> but yeah, um, that's that's the plan, Stan. I'm so excited. But um, I guess to those of you who are not Libby, uh, Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire in general, this uh, um, the that is for adults so if you're a child you probably I don't know what the proper thing to tell you to do is ask permission I don't know can I consume this content which okay frankly the story I think is a lot less mm, I don't know it's it's definitely a lot less sexual than it is on the show so if that's a concern but there is for sure violence and evil and you know, those kind of things, too. But, I mean, it's not like Harry Potter isn't evil and terrible. Like, you know, just straight up terrible people doing terrible things. But also it's fake. But also, you know, Game of Thrones is fake. But there's magic and stuff there, too. But it's an, it's just more... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. We'll, uh... It's fine. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. I think it's a great story, so... But, I don't know. Also, I've, I'm used, like, as a child, I consumed content that was much more mature than for my age. Like, viewer discretion is, viewer discretion advised, you know what I'm saying? I've been, I've been hearing that since the dawn of time for me, my dawn of time. <laughs> because my parents, well, my dad especially didn't really monitor my usage and didn't really give a, a rat's batootie about it but um whatever that's just that's that's me um all right and um yeah okay so what else lib what else? i'm so excited to have booked my flight then it, now it feels real i don't know why i didn't book it a long time i'm just like kicking myself why didn't you book it what what do you why why it's not like it wasn't gonna happen i don't know why i thought it would go down why would i ever think anything would go down <laughs> Okay, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, but I'm very excited to go to California and hang out with you and your sisters and Emily. And is there anyone else? I think it's that's it, right? Sweet. Amazing. Love it. I love it. Alright. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Not much not much else has happened um work is just as irritating as ever um i swear everywhere i turn i'm finding more things wrong and it's really fun it's really great great fun 
um and then like today this morning I was like oh yeah this thing that you just like were like yeah I I need that even though it's like not something that you actually need it's a bit more complicated than that and then just like because I don't know if I don't know what people who aren't programmers think these things are but um if you don't I I don't know anyway the code is poo the code is poo and if we don't have to add that code and be confusing and add functionality that is kind of confusing and frankly unnecessary it's overkill um we'll just add it when someone needs it and i think that's the approach that we need to take with a lot of things that we don't take okay i know libby you have no impact on <laughs> how my things get done but and you probably have no interest in it either but i'm gonna tell you it's ridiculous I roll my eyes a lot. I'm just like, oh boy. So then I was fixing something else. And then I was like, of course, while I was trying to test my fix, I found something else wrong. It's like, oh, for goodness sake, these hurdles in my way. I'm trying to duck. I'm trying to take a screenshot to be like, this proof that my thing works. And in the meantime, I'm <laughs> documenting something that is broke, something else that is broken and unrelated. And it's just like, oh, grinding my gears a little bit. But uh, today's Friday for me, yo, even though it's actually Thursday, Thursday, April 14th, which I really just need to submit my taxes. I need to do that. Maybe I should do that right after reading this. This is going to be a quick one, I think. Um, and that's why I've, uh, I don't know, I'm not getting to the point, but yeah, um, I should really do that. I should do that. I'm going to do that. Okay. I'm setting my goal. All right, so this is a wrap-up. I feel so, I don't know, sad, but also happy, looking forward to the future. Sad that the past is no longer. I should just be living in the moment. Hmm. Well, I'm living in the moment for you now, and we're reading the epilogue to Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows by J.K. Rowling. This is the last book. Well, okay. It's the last book in the series, in my opinion. Now, The Cursed Child, is that what it is? Harry Potter and the... I don't know what it's called, but it's a play. It's written in play format, as you know, Libby. And I really... It, it, it's just not... It's just not the same, and it just doesn't hit the... It just doesn't hit the same. I don't know. It just doesn't hit the same. Um, so that's why I'm not going to read it and pretend it never exists. <laughs> but anyway, okay, here we are. 19 years later. 19 years later, this page is a diamond, like a rhombus. Oh, but it, I guess you could look at it as like a, okay, it doesn't matter. You, it doesn't matter what the page looks like. I'm not going to, it doesn't matter. So this is the epilogue. And the epilogue is called, oh, it's called 19 Years Later. Sure, sure. Um, and the chapter art. We are looking at platform nine and three quarters. Uh, we can see a hanging plant and a trunk leaning up against one of the pillars or the arch supports. And there's uh, also a duffel laying against a different arch support. We can see the sign dangling in the distance. We can see a shadow of heads in the distance. 
um, heads of different heights, so presumably a range of ages. Nineteen years later. Autumn seemed to arrive suddenly that year. The morning of the first of September was crisp and golden as an apple, and as the little family bobbed across the rumbling road toward the great sooty station, the fumes of car exhausts and the breath of pedestrians sparkled like cobwebs in the cold air. Two large cages rattled on top of the laden trolleys the parents were pushing. The owls inside them hooted indignantly, and the red-haired girl trailed tearfully behind her brothers, clutching her father's arm. "'It won't be long, and you'll be going too,' Harry told her. Two years,' sniffed Lily. "'I want to go now!' The commuters stared, <laughs> stared curiously at the owls as the family wove its way toward the barrier between platforms nine and ten. Albus's voice drifted back to Harry over the surrounding clamor. His sons had resumed the argument they had started in the car. I won't! I won't be in Slytherin! James, give it a rest, said Ginny. I only said he might be, said James, grinning at his younger brother. There's nothing wrong with that. He might be in Slit, But James caught his mother's eye and fell silent. The five potters approached the barrier. With a slightly cocky look over his shoulder at his younger brother, James took the trolley from his mother and broke into a run. A moment later, he had vanished. "'You'll write to me, won't you?' Albus asked his parents immediately, capitalizing on the momentary absence of his brother. "'Every day if you want us to,' said Ginny. "'Not every day,' said Albus quickly. James says most people only get letters from home about once a month. We wrote to James three times a week last year, said Ginny. And you don't want to believe everything he tells you about Hogwarts, Harry put in. He likes to laugh, your brother. Side by side, they pushed the second trolley forward, gathering speed as they reached the barrier. Albus winced, but no collision came. Instead, the family emerged onto platform nine and three quarters, which was obscured by thick white steam that was pouring from the scarlet Hogwarts Express. Indistinct figures were swarming through the mist, into which James had already disappeared. Where are they? asked Albus anxiously, peering at the hazy forms they passed as they made their way down the platform. We'll find them, said Ginny reassuringly but the vapor was dense and it was difficult to make out anybody's faces. Detached from their owners, wait, their owners, detached from their owners. I need to take a swig, my mouth is dry. Detached from their owners, <laughs> voices sounded unnaturally loud. Harry thought he heard Percy discoursing loudly on broomstick regulations and was quite glad of the excuse not to stop and say hello. I think that the I'm really struggling right now. I think that's them, Al, said Ginny suddenly. A group of four people emerged from the mist, standing alongside the very the very last carriage. Their faces only came into focus when Harry, Ginny, Lily, and Albus had drawn right up to them. Hi, said Albus, sounding immensely relieved. Rose, who was already wearing her brand new Hogwarts robes, beamed at him. Parked all right then? Ron asked Harry. I did. 
Hermione didn't believe I could pass a muggle driving test, did you? She thought I'd have to confund the examiner. No, I didn't, said Hermione. I had complete faith in you. As a matter of fact, I did confund him, Ron whispered to Harry, as together they lifted Albus's trunk and Owl into the train. Oh, onto the train. I only forgot to look in the wing mirror, and let's face it, I can use a supersensory charm for that. Back on the platform, they found Lily and Hugo, Rose's younger brother, having an animated Hugo. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know why. Okay, I have just... <laughs> Let me start again. But back on the platform, they found Lily and Hugo, Rose's younger brother, having an animated discussion about which house they would be sorted into when they finally went to Hogwarts. If you're not in Gryffindor, we'll disinherit you, said Ron, but no pressure. Ron! Lily and Hugo laughed, but Albus and Rose looked solemn. He doesn't mean it, said Hermione and Ginny, but Ron was no longer paying attention. Catching Harry's eye, he nodded covertly to a point some fifty yards away. The steam had thinned for a moment, and three people stood in sharp relief against the shifting mist. Look who it is. Draco Malfoy was standing there with his wife and son, a dark coat buttoned up to his throat. His hair was receding somewhat, which emphasized the pointed chin. The new boy resembled Draco as much as Albus resembled Harry. Draco caught sight of Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Ginny staring at him, nodded curtly, and turned away again. So that's little Scorpius, said Ron under his breath. Scorpius. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. These names are just they're cracking me up. Make sure you beat him in every test, Rosie. Thank God you inherited your mother's brains. Ron, for heaven's sake, said Hermione, half stern, half amused. Don't try to turn them against each other before they've even started school. You're right, sorry, said Ron. But unable to help himself, he added. Don't get too friendly with him, though, Rosie. Granddad Weasley would never forgive you if you married a pureblood. Hey! James had reappeared. He had divested himself of his trunk, owl, and trolley, and was evidently bursting with news. Teddy's back there, he said breathlessly pointing back over his shoulder into the billowing clouds of steam. Just seen him. And guess what he's doing? Snogging Vict Victoire? Victoire? Vic How do you... What? Vict I don't know what this name is. I'm sorry. Victoire. <laughs> he gazed up at the adults, evidently disappointed by the lack of reaction. Our Teddy. Teddy Lupin. Snogging our Victoire. Our cousin. And I asked Teddy what he was doing. You interrupted them, said Ginny. You are so like Ron. And he said he'd come to see her off. And then he told me to go away. He's snogging her, James added, as though worried he had not made himself clear. Oh, it would be lovely if they got married, whispered Lily ecstatically. Teddy would really be part of the family then. He already comes round for dinner about four times a week, said Harry. Why don't we just invite him to live with us and have done with it? Yeah, said James enthusiastically. I don't mind sharing with Al. Teddy could have my room. No, said Harry firmly. You and Al will share a room only when I want the house demolished. 
He checked the battered old watch that had once been Fabian Pruitt's. Am I supposed to know who that is? I don't know. It's nearly 11. You'd better get on board. Don't forget to give Neville our love, Ginny told James as she hugged him. Mom, I can't give a professor love. But you know Neville. James rolled his eyes. Outside, yeah, but at school he's Professor Longbottom, isn't he? I can't walk into Herbology and give him love. Shaking his head at his mother's foolishness, he vented his feelings by aiming a kick at Albus. See you later, Al. Watch out for the Thestrals. I thought that they were... Oh, I thought they were invisible. You said they were invisible! But James merely laughed, permitted his mother to kiss him, gave his father a fleeting hug, then leapt onto the rapidly filling train. They saw him wave, then sprint away up the corridor to find his friends. Thestrals are nothing to worry about, Harry told Albus. They're gentle things. There's nothing scary about them. Anyway, you won't be going up to school in the carriages. You'll be going in the boats. Ginny kissed Albus goodbye. See you at Christmas. Bye, Al, said Harry, as his son hugged him. Don't forget Hagrid's invited you to tea next Friday. Don't mess with Peeves. Don't duel anyone till you've learned how. And don't let James wind you up. What if I'm in Slytherin? The whisper was for his father alone, and Harry knew that only the moment of departure could have forced Albus to reveal how great and sincere that fear was. Harry crouched down so that Albus's face was slightly above his own. Alone of Harry's three children, Albus had inherited Lily's eyes. Albus Severus. Oh, God, I hate it. Albus Severus. Harry said quietly, so that nobody but Ginny could hear, and she was tactful enough to pretend to be waving to Rose, who was now on the train. You were named for two headmasters of Hogwarts. One of them was a Slytherin, and he was probably the bravest man I ever knew. But just say, then Slytherin House will have gained an excellent student, won't it? It doesn't matter to us, Al. If it, But if it matters to you, You'll be able to choose Gryffindor over Slytherin. The sorting hat takes your choice into account. Really? It did for me, said Harry. He had never told any of his children that before, and he saw the wonder in Albus's face when he said it. But now the doors were... But now the doors were slamming all along the scarlet train, and the blurred outlines of parents were swarming forward for final floor, floor final kisses, for final kisses, last-minute reminders. Albus jumped onto the carriage, and Jenny closed the door behind him. Students were hanging from the windows nearest them. A great number of faces, both on the train and off, seemed to be turned toward Harry. Why are they all staring? demanded Albus, as he and Rose craned around to look at the other students. Don't let it worry you, said Ron. It's me. I'm extremely famous. Albus, Rose, Hugo, and Lily laughed. The train began to move, and Harry walked alongside it, watching his son's thin face already ablaze with excitement. Harry kept smiling and waving, even though it was like a little bereavement, watching his son glide away from him. The last trace of steam evaporated in the autumn air. The train rounded a corner. Harry's hand was still raised in farewell. He'll be all right, murmured Ginny. As Harry looked at her, he lowered his hand absentmindedly, 
and touched the lightning scar on his forehead. I know he will. The hair... What am I saying? (laughs) Sorry. This is the last (laughs) sentence. Okay. The scar had not pained Harry for 19 years. All. (coughs) Sorry. All was well. Ooh, my tummy is grumbling. All was well. That's the end of the book, y'all. That's the end. We're done. Um, About the author. J.K. Rowling Rowling, however, began writing stories when she was six years old. She started working on the Harry Potter sequence in 1990 when, she says, the idea simply fell into my head. The first book, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, was published in the United Kingdom in the published in the United Kingdom in 1997 and the United States in 1998. Since then, books in the Harry Potter series have been honored with many prizes, including the Anthony Award, the Hugo Award, the Bram Stoker Award, the Whitbread Children's Book Award, and the Nestle Smarties Book Prize, and the British. Oh, I said and, and I shouldn't have. Soopsie soups, and the British Book Awards Children's Book of the Year as well as New York Times Notable Book, ALA Notable Children's Book, and ALA Best Book for Young Authors Citation. Uh, young Adults? What am I saying? I'm sorry. <laughs> ALA Best Book for Young Adults Citations. Ms. Rowling has also been named an officer of the Order of the British Empire. She lives in Scotland with her family. About the illustrator, Mary Grand. Pray, pray, pray has illustrated more than 20 beautiful books, including Henry and Paul, Paul, P-A-W-L, and The Round Yellow Ball. Henry and Paul and The Round Yellow Ball, co-written with her husband, Tom Kazmer. Plum, a collection of poetry by Tony Mitten, Lucia and the Light by Phyllis Root, and the American editions of all seven Harry Potter novels. Her work has also appeared in The New Yorker, The Atlantic Monthly, and The Wall Street Journal, and her paintings and pastels have been shown in galleries across the United States. Ms. Grand Prix, Prix, Miss Grand Prix, I don't know how to say her name, lives in Sarasota, Florida, with a family. And that is, oh, just kidding. This book was art directed by David Saylor. The art for both the jacket and the interior was created using pastels on toned printmaking paper. The text was set in 12-point Adobe Garamond, a typeface based on the 16th century type designs of Claude Garamond, redrawn by Robert Slimbach in 1989. The book was typeset by Brad Walrod and was printed and bound at R.R. R. Donnelly in Crawfordsville, Indiana. The managing editor was Karen Brown. The continuity editor was Cheryl Klein. And the manufacturing director was Angela Biola. And that is actually now the end of the book. Toodaloo!